been in the series about hearing God's voice, and we're going to uh, has be we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 this morning. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 15, and then also turn to Genesis chapter 18. While you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story. There's two brothers in, ha- in in town, in a small town. You know how it is in small towns. And one of these brothers, I mean, they were both just scoundrels. I mean, they were just absolutely, you know, you know, when when Paul says that he was the chief of sinners, well, uh, he didn't know these two guys. And uh, one of them dies. And so the one that's alive goes to the pastor of the church in the local town, and he says, look, I, I want you to bury my brother. And the pastor's like, oh, man, I don't know if I can or not. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And uh, so the guy's like, you got to do it, and I'll pay you a lot of money to do it. And the pastor's like, well, you know, for the sake of the family. And then the, and the guy, the other brother says, there's one more thing that I got, you got to say, that you have to say about them. In the funeral, you have got to say that this man was a saint. And the pastor's like, my gosh, you know. I mean, I know the kind of life that you guys are living. This is going to be a tough one. But the pastor went ahead and agreed to do it. And uh, I don't think the money had anything to do with it at all. Uh, but... Uh, the pastor's saying, you know, everybody knows this man. We know in the service he's saying what a rotten sinner he was. He was a liar, and he was a thief, and he was a cheater, and he was a drunkard, and he was an adulterer. But compared to his live brother that's sitting right here on the front row, he was a saint. <laughs> All right. Um, let me, we're going to um, start in John chapter 15. And, um, you know, many of you, uh, when we think about our relationship with God, uh, we know Him as Father. We know Him as Lord. We know Him as Redeemer. We know Him as Deliverer. Some of you know Him as uh, Judge. Uh, you know Him as uh, Healer. Um, but... When we think about God as being our friend, I think that some of us think that, I don't know, I don't really see, it's hard for me to see and envision God as being my friend. And I want to just share with you some of the scripture this morning that, uh, you know, that kind of points to that. Um, Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no man than this than someone that would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do, you, uh, do I call you servants. For a servant does not know, that's key, a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard of my father, I've made known to you. Again, key, what I've known from my father, I've made known to you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and your your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. Boy, I tell you what, that's probably one of the most misused scriptures in the Bible because, I mean, we've all misused it. Lord, I need a million dollars in my bank account. It says right here, whatever I ask in your name, you'll give it to me, right? 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 And if a million is too much, I'll take a half. All right. And so, and sometimes we misuse scriptures like this. He's just talking about, he's talking about bearing fruit, bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. 
He, sees, he says, these things I command you that you love one another. Um, and then we see in, uh, in Genesis chapter 18, and we know that Abraham was called a friend of God. In Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared to him, and notice that uh, the Lord, it's uh, the Lord, the, the word is uh, the, the word for Yahweh and Jehovah God, appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. If you've got a, uh, if, if you don't know where Mamre is, if you've got a map uh, book in the, or page in the back of your Bible, you find the Dead Sea, go all the way down to the south end of the Dead Sea, just near the bottom of it. And if you go to the left, there's a little town called Hebron, and it's just very near, just within a few miles, Hebron. Uh, Mamre is just a little bit uh, north of uh, Hebron. And uh, it was known for their oaks. In fact, there's an oak there today uh, that's called the Oak of Abraham. It's 32 feet around, the, around this oak, uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. Um, and so it says, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down uh, himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought to wash your feet and to rest yourself under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Now in those days, you know, you know, in the middle of the desert, they didn't have the Holiday Inn or you know hotels like we have today, and and in that culture in that time, it was very it was it, the thing to do was that when someone came, a visitor, whether you knew them or not, uh, hospitality was just so so uh, uh, prominent in that culture that you did everything. I mean, your reputation, everything was at stake uh, about, you know, the way that you treated other people. And so he's saying, I want you to stay. I want to, I want to wash your feet. Uh, I want you to rest yourselves under the trees. I'm going to bring a morsel of bread that you may be refreshed. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, uh, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make uh, cakes. And Abraham ran out to the herd and took a calf, a tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it, one of his servants. Uh, and he took curds and milk and the calf and had, that they had prepared. And remember, this is not a day of, uh, you know, electric or gas ovens or microwaves. I mean, this took some time. I mean, to, to butcher the calf. And I mean, this could take, you know, a couple of hours to do all of this. And it says that, uh, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, and Sarah were old and advanced in years. And to find out how old they actually were or at that time, you look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, it says that he was 100 years old at that time. And she was uh, 90 years old at that time. And uh, it says, the way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard, underline that, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, and said, and he said, but no, but you did laugh. And, you know, I, when I read that, I thought, all right, here's lying Sarah, lying to God, and, you know, God's trying to bless her. And, you know, is he really going to bless her now that she's lying about it? But God just kind of overlooked that. It says, and the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. You know, that's the way, that's the direction that they were going. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide? Again, underline that. It's important. It's important for you to understand this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That It's talking about you and I. It's talking about we're blessed today because of this meeting right here and because of this covenant that God made with Abraham. And the covenant was that, that a Savior would come through the seed of Abraham, a lion from the tribe of Judah would come, and that he would die for our sins at Calvary's cross. And but by that, God has blessed all the nations. He says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children. And again, keep in mind, he doesn't really have children other than Ishmael. He says that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. And the Lord says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so, remember, there's three men. And the men turned and went from there towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it? For fifty righteous who are in it, far be it from you to do such thing, such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Understand that. That's kind of an interesting statement. God's saying that if there's fifty people that are in this city, I'll save the entire city. I want you to think about that in context with you and those that you know, the relationship and that sphere of influence that you have, how God will intervene just because of you, because of your lifestyle, because of what you're doing, God will intervene and reach out to those that you know and you love. And Abraham said, uh, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, and who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him. He says, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, speaking about God, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy the city. And then he said, oh, Lord, don't be angry with me. Let me just speak. Suppose there are 30 that are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. 
And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, Lord, and I, I can see just Abraham just kind of like, I'm your fear and trembling. I mean, he's talking to God. He's having this conversation with God. And remember we were talking about our whole, our whole series this last couple of weeks is, does God speak to man? Does God still talk to people? And this is even before there was a word of God. There was no Old Testament written. All he had was just the encounter. All he had is the same communication that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden when it says that God delighted and looked forward to walking daily with Adam and Eve and talking to them and communing with them and them communing with him. You know, it's like, God, what are we doing today? Uh, we're going to go check out the waterfall. Uh, what are we doing today? Let's go. I'm going to show you some exotic birds. or Everything was exotic, I guess, at that point. Um, you know, I just want to show you something special. You know, it was just like that day-by-day -day communication that God had with Adam and Eve that was, was broken. And we see God speaking to Abraham the same way. And he says that, suppose ten are found there, and he answered, for the sake of ten... I will not destroy it. Remember that the, the scripture says in Peter, it says, it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. And you and I need to understand that the, the heart of God is that he is not interested in seeing anyone perish. He does not delight. In fact, it breaks his heart to see those that reject him and reject him and reject him. And it says, and he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Uh, there, there are a couple of points that I want to bring, bring out this morning. We, have, we do have communion this morning, so I'm going to move through these. They, these are the things that just kind of jumped out at me as I was reading this about being a friend of God and being called a friend of God. And, you know, I mean, I think of all the, of all the things and all the the titles that we know God as, as Lord and Savior and Master and Healer and Deliverer, all of those things. I, I love all of those, but there's something special about being called a friend of God. And for those of you that, you know, in, in your, your lifetime, you've had those like super, like really, really close friends. You know, somebody that you could call in the middle of the night. Remember Jesus tells the story about if a man has a friend and, and, and some friends visit him at midnight, that he can call this guy at midnight, go knock on his door and, you know, get whatever he needs to provide food for his friend. And there's something special about that, you know, that close connection where you can, you know, you can pour out your heart to someone, you know, this is what I'm going through, this is a trial that I'm facing, and you know that your friend's not going to go out and gossip about you and tell other things. You guys have you know, there's a tightness. There's a camaraderie there. There's a, I mean, we see it, you see it a lot in the military. Military guys, I mean, had the, this, this relationship where they have one another's back. It's like, I'm watching out for you, and I know that you're watching out for me. I don't even have to think twice about it. I know that you are watching out for me. And I think that, you know, this is the type of friendship that I believe that, that all of us would like to have and want to have with God. But let me just point out some benefits from being a friend of God. When you're a friend of God, you get revelation from God. Remember reading again from John chapter 15, Jesus said, 
no longer do I call you a servant because the servant doesn't even know what his master is doing. But I called you friends because all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. And then in verse 17 of the chapter that we just read, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God, if you're a friend of God, God's going to bring revelation to you. He's going to bring understanding to you. And then Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing, does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And that's why you look at prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and, uh, you know, all of the Old Testament prophets that came and said, unless you repent, God is bringing serious judgment upon the land. But it's like the people would not hear it. They would not listen to it. Uh, they just kind of went on their way. And Jeremiah called the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. He was like begging the people, please turn from your idols, turn from your sinful ways, because if you don't, God is bringing judgment upon the land, and you're going to lose everything that you've got. You're going to lose Jerusalem. You're going to lose your houses and your wives and your children. You're going to lose the temple. It's all going to be destroyed, and it's going to be burned down. And, and Jeremiah is pleading and begging with the people. And, you know, because he could understand and he saw in his mind and, and through his heart, through the revelation of God, God spoke to him just like Amos says right here, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants. The second thing, that point that jumped out to me in this passage of Scripture, that when you're a friend of God, you witness the power of God. It said uh, in verse 14, when Sarah is thinking about this, and, and, and Abraham and Sarah are having this dialogue, and God says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. I want, to, I want you to just think about, in most, or any of you that are facing an impossible situation right now, where you know, you know that unless God shows up, I mean, the worst of the worst is going to happen in your mind, that you need a breakthrough, you need God to show up in an incredible way. Jeremiah chapter 32, the verse I kind of, that Lord put on my heart this morning is my encouragement verse. It says that I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And obviously the answer is no. The answer is no, nothing is too hard for you. Now, you might be going through the hardest day of your life, the greatest trial of your life, the biggest problem that you've ever faced in your life, but I'm going to tell you that with God, all things are possible, and if you just count on Him, God can move the mountain that you're facing today. He can get that mountain out of your life, get your feet back on level ground, bring peace back to you, you know, take away the, the insanity that's driving you mad because you're consumed with the problem, and God said, if you just give it to me, you know, let me move the mountain. Remember when the word to, I think it's in Second Chronicles, uh, I'm going to say 20, uh, a Jehoshaphat. Is that right? All right. It's probably right. All right. Since nobody knows. Uh, but remember, there's three armies that are coming up against Jerusalem, and it's like they were totally outnumbered, totally outnumbered. And the prophet comes to, to Jehoshaphat. It's like Jehoshaphat, the king, is like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Lord, what are we going to do? They're gonna, I mean, they're going to tear us apart. They're going to rip us apart. It's three against one, and any one of them are larger than we are. And, they're gonna, and the prophet shows up, and he says, don't worry about this. This 
is not your battle. This battle, this battle right here that you're seeing right now, where these three armies are coming against you, this battle belongs to me. He said, and I'm going to take care of it. And I love what he says about it. He says, I want you to send your singers out. That would have been like our worship team, like uh, uh, Orlando and uh, Joni and all of those other people. Just send them out before you, okay? Uh, I'll give you their number after the service this morning. And uh, you can send them out before you so they can fight the battle for you. All right. And the third thing that jumped out at me is that when you're a friend of God, you understand his great love for you. And this is so important because I, you know, we, we all know John 3.16. Most of us know John 3.16 about how God loved the world. But I want you to listen to a couple of different scriptures that talk about God's love for you. In Exodus chapter 34, it says, He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. That God is passionate about his relationship with you. And in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offering. I want you to know me. You hear that? Now think about that. Listen to the passion that's in God's voice. I don't want your sacrifices. See, sacrifices were offered when we sinned, when we sinned against God. And we just thought, hey, let's just go out and sin, get another goat. Go out and sin, get an ox. Go out and sin, get a sheep. You know, and God's saying, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. You know, that was true almost 3,000 years ago. It's still true today. God's not interested in our sacrifices. He wants you to know him, and he wants your love. Number four, when you're a friend of God, your, your heart's desire is for God and for God alone. Your heart, when you're a friend of God, your heart's desire is for God and God alone. It says, or I say it again, that if your aim, this is from the message translation, James chapter 4, verse 4. I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy all the evil pleasures of the unsaved world, you cannot be a friend. Now, we're talking about being a friend of God. But if you, if you want to enjoy all the sinful pleasure of, of the world, he's saying, you cannot be a friend of God. He said, do, what do you think the scripture, or what do you think the scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within us watches over us with tender jealousy? And so when I love the things of this world, and, and they don't have to be sinful things, and I'm not talking about, you know, you know drinking, getting drunk, or, you know, all of the sexual sins. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know, when, when the things that I enjoy doing in this life, and there are a lot of things that I personally enjoy doing, but when they begin to take over my life, and I love my hobbies more than I love God, when I love, you know, doing all of the, the fun things that the world has to offer more than I love God, that has become my God, that has become my idol, and God says that he is a jealous God, and that breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. In uh, Psalms chapter 25, it says, God friendship or friendship with God is for God worshipers. They are the ones that he confides in. God's friendship is for God's worshipers. When you begin to worship God, when you begin to just, just like you are consumed with God, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but 
I want you to just think about when's the last time that you that you really just kind of got alone with God and you bowed your knee before the Lord and you got on your face before the Lord and just said, Lord, you know, I, I look at my life and I see I, I'm so preoccupied with so many things, God, that I put you on the back burner and I know that's not where you want to be. And in my heart of hearts, that's not where I want you to be. But it's like my life is now out of control. And I'm just asking you to help me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Just reel me in. You know, yes, these things are fun, but they don't compare. They don't compare with you, God. They don't compare with your goodness, your love, your mercy, your sacrifice. Lord, you've not treated me as my sins deserve. You've been faithful to me. You've been kind to me. You've been gentle to me. You've been forgiving to me. And Lord, I, I want to have that friendship relationship with you. And so when we think about this, and I want you to think about this this morning because we're going to pray, and I, I just need our servers, if you guys would please go back to the table and just get ready because... We're, we're getting ready to wind this up. Uh, was there ever a time? Let me just ask this question with, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I want you to be honest because I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to tell you that I'm going to raise my hand before I even ask you the question. But was there ever a time in your life where you felt closer to God than you do today, that at this moment right now? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to ask you to do something, and then we're going to, we're going to partake in communion. The scripture says, or the question is, how do, I, how do I restore my friendship? For those of you that raised your hands, and there were many that raised their hands and said that there was a time in my life when I was closer to God, I felt closer to God than I do right now. And I, I want to just review just a couple of the scriptures that we've read earlier. From James chapter 4, it says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. And draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. All right? He said, draw near to God. And I want you to think about when Abraham saw those three men, when Abraham saw those three men coming by his tent, he said, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, I want you to, please, keep your eyes closed just for a moment. Just concentrate on these words. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass me by. Do not pass your servant by. Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, I just, I just want to be close to you. You're not just three travelers going across the desert. God, I feel your presence and I just want to spend time with you. I just want to be close to you. And then, remember in the same story, it said that two of the three men turned 
and went toward Sodom. But Abraham, listen, stood still. That could be also translated as quiet. Stood still and he stood quiet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near to God. Abraham drew near to God. Two of the men go away. And, and when you look at in your Bible, it says in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord, and it's all capital letters. Again, it translates Jehovah or Yahweh. And Abraham drew close to God. It was just like, God, I want to be so close to you right now. I, Lord, I just, want to, I just want to be in your presence. It's a lot like the scripture from Numbers where it talked about uh, Moses and Joshua going up to the tent of meeting. And it says that when Moses would leave and go back into the camp, Joshua would stay at the door of the tent of meeting because the presence of God was there. And that's all he was concerned about. Wasn't concerned about a title. Wasn't concerned about position. Wasn't concerned about making money. All of these things are important. They're important in life. These are things that we need in life. We've got to, you know, we have to have money. You have to feed your family. You have to pay your bills. You have to pay your insurance and buy food. And, you know, all of these things are important. But what, what Abraham was saying is that right now the most important thing that I can do, God, is just be right next to where you are. So now if you will, and, and, and I want you guys to be honest because I want to pray for you this morning and I want, I want to see you get back. You said that you wanted to get back and there was a time in your life that you felt closer to, to God than you do today. Those of you that raised your hands, I want you to just stand up real quick. Just please stand up. Be bold, be bold, be bold. Stand up, stand up, stand up. And I just want to, uh, man, uh, I was going to have people lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, so I'm just going to do that from here, right from here, right here, okay? Um, thank you, Lord. I just thank you, Father, for your presence this morning. We thank you for the sweetness of your presence. And I want to just say, if, if you are sitting down, just reach over and touch somebody's shoulder. There's somebody, I know there's somebody, that a few of you that are still sitting down. Just reach, reach over, young or old, makes no difference. Those of you that are in the back row back there, if you're sitting down, just come, just go stand and stand next to somebody that's standing up. Put your hands on their shoulder. Father, we just acknowledge, Lord, that the most important thing in life is you. The most important thing, Father, in our life is you. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would, this today would be a, a day of, of restoration. And Father, that we understand that that now what we're experiencing and what we're going through or what we're not experiencing is not the yet. What I'm going through right now, what I'm experiencing right now, or what I'm not experiencing right now is not the yet of the promises that you've given me and that I have from your word. And just in just simple language, that means that where you are right now, if you're in a difficult place or a dry place, where you are right now is not the yet of what is to come. 
And God's saying that there's going to be a breakthrough in your life. And he's going to bring you to the yet of his promises. It may be tomorrow, it may be next week, it may be next month. For Abraham, it was 25 years when he got, from the time he got the promise to the time that the child came. But the promise was fulfilled. And the promises of God, the Bible says, are yes and yes, yes and amen in the word of God. All of his promises are true, and not one of them have ever, ever, ever failed. And God's not going to start failing us now. He's not going to start failing you now. And the promises that you've received about your health, about your finances, about your marriage, and about your relationship, you know, what you're in right now, God is not finished, and He will bring you through to the promise of fulfillment. And we say these things in Jesus' name, knowing that God's Word is true. So let's just lift up a shout of praise to our God, because He is an awesome God. He is an awesome God. We thank you, Lord. All right. We're going to come around to the table of the Lord. I want our servers, if you would please come forward. You guys, just if you're sitting or standing or whatever you're doing right now, why don't you just uh, reflect on your life, Lord? You know, these are the things that I've been struggling with, sin I've been struggling with. The Lord says, and when, before we take communion, we should examine ourselves. Let a man examine himself or a woman examine herself. Lord, we do, we just take a minute to search our hearts. David said in Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any deceitful way in me. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit just search our heart. Lord, Holy Spirit, just bring it forward, Lord. If, if there's been lying or stealing or cheating or deceitfulness, Lord, if we've sinned against you in any way, Lord, unforgiveness and bitterness or gossip or slander, Father, whatever it may be, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us our sins, and Lord, we, we know that your word says day from day to day you're changing us. From glory to glory you're changing us, and though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed every day, and every day renew us, Father. Every day bring us closer to you. Lord, we want to be like Abraham. We want to draw close to you. We also want to be known as friends of God. We, as we draw close to you, we want that revelation. Something that you might want to say about our life. Something about direction. Something about vision. Something about ministry, Lord God. Father, that uh, uh, we, just, we long to hear the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. As Isaiah said, this is the way walk you in it this is the way some of you are lost and floundering and you don't know which way to go or what to do with regard to moving or careers or uh, relationships all of these things are confusing to you and you need to hear a word from the Lord and he as you draw close to him will draw close to you and he will speak to you as God spoke to Moses face to face, as Abraham spoke to God face to face. He will speak to you and his voice will be clear.